and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning I want to begin with a story. As you listen, you may be tempted to think that the story I'm telling is just an embellishment or an exaggeration. But please believe me when I tell you that the story I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. The story goes like this. Once there was this ocean liner, and the ship was designed to be safe and beautiful and good. But even though the ship was supposed to be like that, it wasn't. Compared to its former glory, the ship was nothing more than a marred image. For all of the problems the ship had, its primary issue was that it had a gaping hole in its side. Every day the ship took on water, and every day it drew closer and closer to sinking. And as each day passed, the danger only grew for its occupants. To make matters even worse, no one on the ship could agree about a course of action. People endlessly argued over which idea was best, endlessly fighting for their ideas to be the dominant view. These arguments were so severe and so heated that it wasn't uncommon for people to use violence, even going so far as to kill one another. And to confound the mess even more, there were people on the ship who believed there was no such thing as a hole in the ship at all. But what was most strange was that regardless of what you thought about the ship, regardless of your opinion about the hole in its side, most people spent their times decorating their rooms and making themselves comfortable. And when they weren't making themselves comfortable, people were trying to take what someone else had. They spent their times arguing and fighting with one another because everyone on the ship wanted to be the strongest. Everyone on the ship wanted to be the most powerful person there. Everyone on the ship wanted to possess everything on the ship. But then in the midst of this mess, something amazing happened. The people on the ship began to hear a rumor. There was a passenger on the ship that claimed he was actually the owner of the ship. He claimed to be the one who designed and built the ship. And by claiming these things, he claimed that the ship and every single thing on it belonged to him. There were some who began to believe him and follow this owner around. And as they did, they learned from him. They watched as the owner reclaimed large sections of the ship. They watched the owner fix things on the ship that had been broken for as long as anyone could remember. He seemed to have an answer for every single problem. The ship was finally being fixed, and for the first time in a long time, the people had hope. But there were some who weren't happy at all. In fact, there were some who were downright hateful towards the owner. These people didn't care if he was the rightful owner or not. All the things that he, they had accumulated, all the power they had struggled and fought for, their positions, their wealth, were all now forfeit if he really was the true owner. And so these people began to hatch the most terrible plan the ship had ever seen. They would kill the owner of the ship, and once he was dead, no one would stand in their way, and they could finally be back in power. But the owner knew about this plan. And you know what he did? You know what the owner did to these bad people? The owner gathered his followers and he sends them out to confront those terrible people. But they are to confront these terrible people not with weapons, not with brutality. No, the owner charges his followers to confront them with the truth. The owner charges his followers to remind these terrible people of what they had forgotten. The ship did indeed have a hole in it. It was indeed sinking, and anyone who stayed on board was sure to die. The owner sent his followers to tell these people the truth about the ship because amazingly, the owner loved them. 
even though they hated him. The owner wanted to save them from their assured death, even though they planned and sought to kill him. The story is exactly what our gospel text is about. The tension in Matthew 9 and 10 is like the tension of a sinking ship that's taking on water. Some were aware that the kingdom of God was rushing upon them and some denied it. But whether you denied it or not, the truth was the rightful owner of Israel was in the land. The rightful owner of the whole earth was now standing on it. And it was decision time. And there wasn't a second to waste. The water was rising and it wouldn't be long before this broken vessel was at the bottom of the sea. There is a deep sense of urgency here. And because of that urgency, Jesus tells his disciples one of the most difficult things he's ever said. In chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said this, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Now you'll recognize that Jesus doesn't usually say things like this, does he? So what's going on? Why does Jesus say something like that at all? You see... Jesus doesn't command his disciples to do that because he's being hateful to those towns. It's not because he relishes the thought of these towns being destroyed, not at all. I think Jesus recognizes that he can't spend one more second speaking to people who refuse to listen. His time is so short that he can't spend another second pleading with hard-hearted people who see the truth, who know the truth, people who had seen the miraculous, but they dismiss everything they've seen anyway. These people had seen it. They knew it. They knew the truth, but they hated the truth. So what these people do is they suppress the truth. They forbid it to be spoken. They attack it. They redefine it. They change truth to mean falsehood and falsehood to mean truth. These people would do any and everything with the words of Jesus except believe them. And no matter how overwhelming the evidence for the truth may be, people like this will twist and turn and do everything in their power to continue in their non-belief. If Jesus stood before them in all of his glory... They would say it was a hallucination. If they saw miracle after miracle, they would say it was an illusion. If they were on a ship that had a gaping hole in its side, if water was up to their waist, if the ship itself was tilted down at a 45-degree angle, they would argue that all of those things were evidence for the ship's seaworthiness. People like this are like people on on a sinking ship who just can't get out of their own way. Guys, shaking the dust off from your feet isn't about scoffing at non-believers. It is not divine permission to be dismissive or cruel to people that despise Jesus. Shaking the dust from your feet is not suggesting that loving your enemies and blessing those who cursed you is really just an optional command, because it most certainly isn't. Shaking off the dust from your feet is about understanding one crucial thing, Loving the non-believer may be mandatory, but beating your head against a brick wall is not. You love those who hate Christ. You remain open to those who, who despise him. You were tender to them. You forgive them when they sin against you. You pray that their eyes might be opened, but you are not required to spend your life speaking to people who will not listen. You are released to move on not because you reject them, 
not so that you can feel superior. No, you were released to move on because the days of this sinking ship are growing ever shorter. And there are those on this ship that would believe the words of Christ. They could escape destruction if someone would just speak to them. At the beginning of our gospel text, Jesus says that the laborers are few and the harvest is plentiful. He then says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And whatever else that description is, a laborer in the field is exactly who a disciple of Christ is. But a disciple doesn't gather the harvest by their own authority. No, the disciples labor in a field that belongs to God. They harvest the fruit that belongs to God. Jesus tells those that he's sending just as the Father has sent him, he is sending them. Jesus tells them just as he speaks the words of the Father, they are to speak the words of the Son. And just as a reaction of the Son, a rejection of the Son is a rejection of the Father, a rejection of those who belong to the Son is a rejection of the Son himself. And listen, I, I get it. That sounds like a whole lot of rejection. And no sane-thinking person likes the thought of being mocked or rejected or called all sorts of nasty names. No one likes to be despised and hated, and it seems virtually certain that if you speak the words of Christ in this world, that is exactly what will happen. But guys, the church simply has no other words to speak. Just as Jesus had no words except those of the Father, the church has no words except those of the Son. And while speaking the words of the Son in a world that hates him sounds awfully dangerous, there were simply no other words we have to speak. There were no other words more potent and life-giving and true than the words Christ has given us to say. There are no other words more beautiful than the very words of the Father himself. It is for the sake of this sinking world that Jesus has made a new people for himself. It is for the sake of this world that Jesus commissions a people who speaks his words, a people who are enlivened by his spirit, a people that are marked out as his very own. Jesus has established his kingdom in the midst of this broken world for the sake of the broken world. Jesus sends the people of his kingdom into the sinking ship, into a world to declare the truth of God with the words of God. And a fundamental piece of that proclamation is that the days of this broken world are almost at an end. Christ will soon return to this sinking world and he will set everything straight. This world will pass away and in its place, Christ will make a new heaven and a new earth. And when all things have finally been made new, Christ will reign as king and the church, those who are in his kingdom will reign with him as a bride. And yes, it's true that the world may not like those words. The world may hate us for speaking them. The world may chastise us and persecute us for believing them. But those words of truth are the only hope this world has. So as the days become ever more turbulent, as the cost of Jesus becomes ever and ever higher, the church must remember we belong to Jesus. We are those who dwell in his kingdom, and we have no other words to speak to this world other than the words of the king himself. Amen.